everybody, and welcome to the Sulpniar Pool. I'm Diana. I'm Andrew. And we are a podcast for the in-depth and semi-serious discussion of the young adult sci-fi book series, Animorphs. In case this is your first time reading the Animorphs, we divide our show into a spoiler-free and spoiler-intensive section. What book are we reading this episode, Andrew? We're reading Animorphs number seven, The Stranger. Amazing. Oh, did you want to talk about the cover? Um, so I guess it's Rachel Morphing and Grizzly Bear. And the inside cover is the elevator scene at the end of the book, which is kind of cool. Oh, have they all been like this with the, um, like a whole cut out of the cover and then you yeah, can flip open yeah. to an image? Okay. Maybe this is just our first time in a little while having a hard copy. Yeah. I mean, one of the many, many great things about the Animorphs book covers, you know? It's true. There are many others as well, They're super lit. Um, I just wanted to note, this book came out in April 1997. I think we may have spoken already about what the hit song was at this time, but I don't know if you remember. Uh, I Believe I Can Fly. It was I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly. <laughs> what a great... Uh, Somewhat appropriate. Yeah, a great topic for this book, as there is some flying involved. So, good job, the 90s. <laughs> Uh, should we just jump right in? Yeah. Uh, so I guess the book opens like a lot of them do with kind of a self-contained cold open where they're, I guess, using their morphing powers in their day-to-day life. Specifically, Rachel and Cassie are using their morphing powers. Right. Yes. Yeah. And we see Rachel's dad, Crazy. Yeah. Who we haven't seen before. Yeah. I was going to say, we haven't, right? No, yeah. We've only had one Rachel book, so... Get ready for some family drama. Um, But that was exciting. You know how I love thinking about daddy issues, so that happened. Sure, yeah. Um, Well, characters with... Yeah. Characters with parent-child relationship arcs. Uh, Anyway, so Rachel is with her dad and also her sisters and also Cassie at the circus. So I guess Rachel saw the circus dude treating the elephants poorly and so she's mad about that mm-hmm. and so rachel like morphs elephant and uses scare tactics to like she thought speaks to the guy like as an elephant mm-hmm. and says things like you can't hurt animals blah blah, blah while she's holding him in her crushing trunk yeah elephant trunk which is like interesting we learned about how strong elephant trunks are maybe we had like a little blurb about that did we yeah that's very possible uh, but they're also, they have a lot of finesse, fine motor skills. Right. Because, yeah, because yeah, she talks about how she could have crushed him if she wanted to, but she was very delicate. Um, Cassie, of course, doesn't really want her to hurt the guy. So mm-hmm. Cassie is like telling her not to hurt the guy. And Rachel is just really feeling it more, I think, than Cassie. She seems a little bit yeah. more up. aggro. Yeah. And she ultimately like flings him to. She, like, throws him up in the air, and then he lands on a circus tent. My notes just say, send him flying. Yeah, she, like, uh, she did throw him, Mm -hmm. but with such aplomb that she knew precisely where he would land, which I think was in a place where he would be unharmed. I want to say it was, like, the roof of a circus tent. Okay. Or something. Anyway, so that happens. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what do you think of this as, like, the cold open of a TV show? I feel like we've talked about the Animorphs as a TV show before. 
Yeah, but I was going to say, I know you talked about this as a cold open, but I think this is a lot less like a cold open than Mm -hmm. like some of the other books that we've read so far. I guess, I don't know, TV shows, when they have those kinds of scenes before the credits, they can vary. Like sometimes they uh, are advancing the plot and sometimes they're just like a random gimmick. It's more like a house cold open. Yeah, I think it could be. I do think this would make a good TV show, the series, as you know. Anyway, so that happens. Then I guess the credits roll. And then the next day after school, I guess they're all meeting up. Meeting up at the barn. Yeah. And so interestingly, they kind of have a discussion about what Rachel did. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that Jake says that he doesn't really think that their job is to step in every time someone's doing something that's wrong or that they don't agree with. Mm -hmm. Um it's not, it's not like a lot of your friendly neighborhood superhero stories where they just kind of like yeah. see something bad happening and then step in and fix it just all the time. Mm-hmm. This is more like dedicated and I think more sophisticated for Jake to make that distinction. Yeah, I agree. I like how he, I like how he's written more subtly than just kind of the leaderly leader who's always like no fun. Does that make sense? I like how he takes her to task in a mild way. Does that make sense? What do you mean? Like, it would be easy to generate, like, this interpersonal conflict where he's a leader, she's being a loose cannon, so they Mm -hmm. kind of butt heads, like, and then work out in the end, you know? Yeah. I feel like TV shows do that a lot. That's true. But this is, like, a more nuanced take on that. I get it. I get it. That makes sense. It's not like a reality show where they're trying to pit each other against each other. Yeah, exactly. So they have a conversation about it. And then I guess I brought up that I kind of wanted to talk about how Rachel has an internal monologue about wanting to be part of something bigger than herself, Mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting because that's kind of similar to how we talk about the sharing or how, I mean, how the sharing talks about themselves, not us, obviously. (laughs) Right. But anyway, because, you know, the sharing is all about being part of something bigger than yourself, something important. Mm -hmm. Like during this conversation, Rachel is talking about how she's talking about how she likes being part of the action, blah, blah, blah. Marco calls her Xena warrior princess. But then she says, but I'm not one of those morons who's just into danger for its own sake. It's not about cheap thrills. It's about feeling like I'm involved in something very important. I mean, let's face it, as corny as it sounds, we're trying to help save the world. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that like reminded me of how people like get drawn into the sharing is wanting to be part of something that's important. Like they feel like they don't have something important in their lives and or a sense of purpose maybe. And then they. That is very reminiscent. It's kind of almost like rationalizing actions like she's saying if she is being relatively reckless Mm -hmm. at least it's in service of the greater good right which is reminiscent of a lot of things yeah yeah things like the sharing yeah we don't need to go into other examples of times that people did harmful things in the name of something bigger than themselves but yeah there are examples all throughout history Mm mm-hmm this is not a history podcast. No, no, no. But I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there are some examples out there. Okay. So after some, I guess, hobnobbing, 
Yeah, so, they're so, hobnobbing around. Well, so after some uh, internal monologuing. Hobnobbing. Thanks. No, I like it. <laughs> and she's also, I guess, giving us the rundown on the various characters. That's Margot. Yeah. That's Jake. He's my cousin. That's Tobias. He used to have dreamy eyes. <laughs> He's sexy as a hawk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you said it, not me. I mean, uh, Rachel thought it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's there. It's there. You know, it's there. Uh, okay. So Marco and Tobias reveal that they've found an entrance to the York Pool, uh, which is at the Gap. Right. You go in through the Gap and out through the movie theater. Right. Done a million times. So pop. This kind of called to mind the York minion who's like in charge of these things, deciding to put the entrance on the gap and like go out the movie theater. Just kind of an interesting image. I just don't get it. You don't get it? Why not put the entrance and exit in the same place? You have to ask uh, Subvisor 458 or something like that. No, no. Yeah. But, but okay. What were they thinking? Yeah. <laughs> what were they thinking? Why is it smart to have... Because they must have thought about it. Maybe their host was someone who was not super socially aware. Maybe we're reading like way too much into this. Well, it's just that like... I don't know. The The reason that Tobias and Marco figured it out is like, didn't Tobias count the number of people that yeah, leave the movie theater? Yeah, there's always more people leaving the movie theater. Yeah. And like... I was under the, the impression time. that, like, people at the movie theater count how many people enter and leave the movie theater. Right? Don't I you mean, see them with those little clickers? Maybe it's just like, yeah, just another Tuesday, you know, seven more maybe people came out. That's it. <laughs> maybe this Where is like the Europe-friendly movie theater. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, maybe they're just controllers. And that, I mean, mm-hmm. I assume, actually, they must all just all be controllers. Right. I mean... Like if the I people that work at the Gap, you, you know, must all be controllers. Yeah, sure. Oh, and then Rachel, Rachel of all people, Rachel is the one who maybe it's because it's a Rachel book, mm-hmm. but she's like, wait a second, do we really want to just go in and attack the Yerk Pool? Because everybody else is just talking about like going in and attacking the Yerk Pool. She's smart, so she is like, maybe we should do something else like maybe we should find the candrona for example which i thought was very like showed a lot of foresight mm-hmm. showed that she was you know being a little bit more cautious not just like running right in mm-hmm. blindly which is interesting because rachel has this reputation of being all like yeah you know trigger happy but she's also really smart she gets the best grades i think mm-hmm. and i think this was just a nice little reminder that she She's got a good head on her shoulders, you know? Yeah. She's not just... She's not one note. Yeah. Anyway. So she does that. So yeah, I think they they do decide to go to the York Pool and then kind of like break. And then we kind of cut to Rachel's home life where her dad is coming over with Thai food. Oh, yeah, right, right. And her dad is like, here's some food. Also, I'm moving a thousand miles away. Who wants noodles? I don't know. <laughs> cool. All right. Yeah, maybe we could talk about he floats the idea to Rachel that she and only she move with him. Yeah, but not Jordan and away. Sarah. Yeah. Did you want to talk more about that? Well, I just think it's weird. Like That is weird, yeah. Normally, I mean, I guess her parents have been divorced for a long time. Mm-hmm. But like, 
So, okay. So normally when parents get divorced, not that I'm an expert on this, my parents are still married and together and have been for a long time. Great. But, uh, we're in flux, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, you know, I understand that I'm speaking from a point of like non expert knowledge. Yeah. But my understanding is that like normally when parents get divorced, the kids tend to stick together. Normally they go, they go with the mom, but they might go with the dad, um, depending mm-hmm. on the situation. But yeah, but I've never heard of kids splitting up. up. But, you know, the parents in this case have been divorced for a while. Mm-hmm. So I understand that like the common practices of divorce court might not apply here, but it still just seems weird. Yeah. You know? I mean, Rachel's dad seems like he knows that. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I keep coming back to is that like in Rachel's narrative, she's like, oh, it seems like he's just like worried he's going to be really lonely. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if maybe he's like worried about being really lonely talked to Rachel's mom about like having the kids visit him or come with him or something. Rachel's mom is like, no, <laughs> but maybe you can have Rachel, I guess, if she wants to, cause she's old enough. Yeah. Or maybe she sounds like Rachel is old enough to make her own decision. Yeah. But, but the other two like, are, not. are not. Yeah. I guess that's possible. Something like that. Okay. So that kind of sets off a little bit of moodiness. Oh yeah. Rachel gets, Super angsty. Yeah, she morphs Owl to sneak out, which I think is, like, a good way of sublimating your angst. Yeah, she, and then she just, like, goes and she flies around edgily and thinks about all of the troubles that she has with her relationship with her father. Very angsty. Mm-hmm. She probably listens to, like, alt music. She can probably hear it really well with her owl ears. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then she, oh, and then she flies to like Tobias's house. I guess it's not a house. Tobias's little area. His perch. And then they have this conversation about like, like because of how Rachel is feeling all angsty about all this. She says something like, have you thought about when we all turn 18 and like probably we're going to go to college and Tobias is like... Ooh, <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> That's a major oof. Because he's a hawk. I don't know if you guys have read all of the books prior to this, but Tobias like is a to hawk. I think our listeners are are pretty diligent. Oh yeah, definitely. They Any do the, They do the assigned readings, um, or at least I mean, why would you be listening to this? I guess if you hadn't read any of the books. <laughs> well, I think you know, like it's kind of like an audiobook, but way worse. Yeah, definitely. If you want to listen to an audiobook, but you also don't want to get any real information, you listen to this podcast. Perfect. Like and subscribe. I feel like we have a new tagline. So she doesn't tell him about the stuff with her dad. She lies and says it's fine. She also drops the knowledge bomb that ornithology is the study of birds. I thought that was pretty helpful. No, Tobias does. Doesn't he? Doesn't he say, I'm going to be really good in my ornithology class? It's like, I could be a professor of ornithology. The study study of birds. birds. (laughs) He can teach people all about thermals. Oh, he absolutely could. So, yeah, he actually takes it pretty well. Because you'd think, you know, in a conversation like that, you'd think that Tobias might be. Yeah, no, he's pretty... Now that he's a hawk, he's kind of mellowed out. Uh, Okay, so she flies off to the gardens and then gets a grizzly. Gets a grizzly. (laughs) She acquires a grizzly. 
<laughs> yeah, she does. Um, which didn't she like tell Tobias she was going to go home, but then instead she went to the gardens. Yeah. So sneaking. I love that too. Sneaking sneakily. I like her mini monologue as she is flying to the gardens to acquire some bear power. Oh yeah. Yeah. Lay it on me. Oh, do you want me to read it? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So Rachel is flying to the gardens, and she thinks to herself, "Leave, move out of town, give up? No way." No way. And my dad, I would still see him when he came to town. That's what jets were for. That's what jets are for. That's what jets are for. Yes, Rachel. Yes. You don't need to go to him. Make him come to you. By being a bear. (laughs) It's like, um, it's like, I don't care about my dad. Morphing this sick grizzly is going to show the world how little I care about my dad. I mean, it kind of does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it works. Um, And then I thought, going back to the Animorphs as a TV show theme, mm-hmm. there's like a, a section, I guess, as she is acquiring the grizzly bear, where she like sees, she has this vision of her dad saying like, oh, but it could be so great if you came with me. And then she has these like flash memories of like the screams in the yerk pool uh, and also Tobias, like, joking about college. And I just imagine on the TV show, she's, like, putting her hand on the grizzly bear and acquiring it. And, like, you just see those faces revolving around her. Or maybe you just hear the voices. I think hearing the voices. Yeah, yeah. You hear the, like, ornithology. <laughs> like, <laughs> the really important stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I thought that was a nice little... You kind of see that in your head, you know, the, yeah. way that, the way that it's written there. That is nice. Um, so, yeah. So, now she has a grizzly morph. Cool. Cool. Probably doesn't matter. Whatever. It's fine. It's just on the cover, but that doesn't mean it's important. Uh, okay. So, she's... The grizzly lives in her now. So, then they meet at the mall the next day, and then they morph Roach in the gap and follow a controller into the entrance to the York pool. Yeah. And then there's, like, one of many... Fantastic Marco Axe moments. Love them. Where Marco's like, how long have we been at Morph? And Axe is like, that took 14 of your minutes. I mean, a joke is never not you know, funny. They're your minutes too. They're everyone's minutes, Axe. I don't know. It's just good. It's just, I just, I love me a good Marco Axe joke. Yeah. Uh, but so they get to the pool. You kind of get a description of the pool, even though they can't actually see it. But we're just hearing like what Rachel remembers from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last time. So I think what they're trying to do is go see if there's Candrona around. Yeah. And so they're going to head towards the food court of the Yerk Pool. But before they can do that, a Texan literally eats them. I mean, he's at the food court for a reason. That's true. He's probably hungry. I mean, yeah. (laughs) I mean, wait. Oh, yeah. They're always hungry. (laughs) You get the impression. Um, yeah, so he licks them up with a long taxon tongue. Don't know if we've seen one of those before, but that was great to think about. Oh, yeah. Wait, how tall are taxons? Uh. Like, how long would the tongue be? I imagine it'd be long and skinny. Six to eight feet long. Yeah, I think it's long and skinny. Tongue is probably like two-ish feet. Ugh. You don't love it. I, I, that's accurate. I do not love it. You hate to see it. Um, but before they can think too much about how disgusting the tongue that is sucking them up 
is um, time freezes, question mark? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So something happens that has never happened before. Everybody is forced to demorph. Mm-hmm. Um, including Tobias. Tobias is there in human form. Yeah, and he's What's like going flapping on? his wings or flapping his arms because he's been transported there from flying around in the forest. Right, right, right. So everyone has a brief, do we swear here? Everyone has a brief moment of what in the world is going on? I think we can swear. Okay, what I was going to say was everyone has a WTF moment. That's not even wow, a swear. really laying it on there. And then... <laughs> uh, we meet somebody who calls himself, well, who acts calls the Elemist. Interesting. Who is the Elemist? What is the Elemist doing here? These are all things that we currently do not know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the Elemist basically seems to imply, well, first of all, he stops time, but we seem to get the idea that the Elemist is this kind of like all powerful being. And I guess Axe has heard of Elemists yeah. before, of being godlike. Mm-hmm. And the Elemist is like, hey guys, just wanted to let you know, this fight against the Yerks, you're going to lose. But if you want, I can take some of you, like you guys and your families and maybe some other people, to like a beautiful world where you can just live. Mm-hmm. And it'll be fine. And Earth will die, but you will live. The human race will survive. Right. And they are thinking about it. They seem to be kind of split. But then, uh, like, while they're talking about it, Rachel and also, I think, Jake and some other people see a drop shaft to help them, like, get out of the Earth pool. So, yeah, so he tells them that, and then he also shows them all these scenes of Earth, kind of like a a Planet Earth montage, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. See, like, the ocean. Yeah, he's, like, kind of extolling the, the Earth's beauties, and he says that uh, in all the universe, there is no greater beauty, which is a little surprising, but which is also I interesting take it from him. Yeah, it's like, what is... What is beauty, you know? Right, yeah. Seems well, like a pretty like human-centric he... idea of beauty, but whatever. I mean, some like, people who are we to question the word of the Elemist? might say that there's beauty in, like, having no life, you know? Somebody yeah. would probably say that. Well, can they stop time? I don't know, maybe. But anyway, okay, yeah, so, okay. <laughs> so he has this conversation. He's like, I just love saving endangered species, including humans. <laughs> but then, anyway, yeah, so... Like, at the beginning of the conversation, they were like, oh, we're just, there's no way we're getting out of this alive. Like, we're getting eaten by a taxon right now. Mm-hmm. Let's either do this or die right now. But then, as they're talking about it, they realize that maybe they can escape through this, like, drop shaft situation. Yeah, yeah. It's like an elevator, I guess. It, like, sucks you up. Yeah. Yes. It was unclear to me, like, how it actually works. But whatever. Anyway. Probably thermal. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, sure I'm sure thermals are in there somewhere. They realize that, then they tell the Elemist no. Then they morph out inside the taxon, and Axe kind of cuts his way out of the taxon with his tail. Oh, yeah, right. They, like, explode the taxon's insides. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty great. I'm surprised they didn't think of that before, I guess, but mm-hmm. maybe they didn't have enough time. Um, and then this fight ensues. Yeah. They Rachel, run to the drop shaft. They run to the drop shaft. Rachel morphs Grizzly for the first time and goes, like, 
berserk. She goes um, berserk. Berserk. She goes berserk. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, she, she like is just attacking everybody, including when she's in the drop shaft, she attacks Jake, mm-hmm. who's in tiger form, which not great. Yeah. 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 The site was weird. They're also, I don't know if you had this thought when you're reading the books for the first time. They're kind of like playing fast and loose with their identities like they don't hide behind something and morph you know they mm-hmm, just kind of mm-hmm. explode out of their taxon and they're kind of covered in taxing guts mm-hmm. yeah i don't think i had really because when i was reading for the first time we hadn't i guess maybe it had been mentioned that like oh the yurks think that they're endolites yeah but that came out um but that hasn't been called into question so far in the series and so i think it was a combination of like the first thing that seems like happened while they were inside the taxon was Axe morphed out, and so he used his tail. So he's there as an Andalite. Yeah. Right? There's a bunch of humans around, so it wouldn't be weird to see humans covered with taxon goo after a taxon just exploded. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I like I definitely agree that they then morphed from human to animals. But I think, uh, yeah, like in theory, it's probably a bad idea, but at this point... I don't know. I was kind of under the impression, like, what we had seen in the earlier books was, like, the Yerks are just going to believe they're Andalites. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, I I don't think that had really... Yeah, I, I mean, there was the, kind me. of, like, the... In book two, Rachel was also kind of captured as Fluffer McKitty, and she had to maintain the, the Fluffer state in order to yeah. not be found out as human. Yeah, but she was also the only one, and she was being watched, like, constantly, yeah. you know? Because as far as the Yerks know, like, Andalites don't talk to humans ever, mm-hmm. right? So once you have an Andalite, even if you saw, yeah, even if you think you see a human morph... It's pretty good. You would be like, oh, I must have been wrong. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it is it is not very strategic. So, yes, they, they have this big battle. Everyone is just, like, really tired at the end. They had morphed twice, all of them, in a pretty short span of time, because they had morphed the roaches... And then they demorphed inside the taxon, and then they morphed battle morphs again. Yeah. So it seemed like that was a big part of why everyone was tired. Plus also, like, the emotional <laughs> exhaustion of meeting the mm-hmm. Elemis. They do make it out. Rachel, good girl Rachel, who does so well in school, skips school the next day. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one thing if Marco skips school. Because, like, please, come on. But <laughs> Rachel skipping school? What? Wild. I feel like I support this, you know, like taking a mental health day. Maybe she doesn't say that, but you know, it's definitely what it is. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a personal day. It's a self care day. Yeah. Um. Oh, she has another one of those. We don't need to get super into it, I guess. But she does have another one of those monologues where she's like, "Ah, oh, I just wish that I could go far away." And like memories swirl in her head of mm-hmm. like her dad, but also the York pool, but also like Tobias. Anyway, so she's just going through a lot. Um, and then after school, they all meet, meet the up. Barn. Yep, in Cassie's barn again. I thought it was interesting. Cassie has this like thing she says about uh, the birds that she's taking care of. This is, like right at the be- like before they've really started the meeting, and she mentions that like the nervous birds will hurt themselves while they're mm-hmm. like banging around in their cage, and that just reminded me of Rachel, like how she yeah. she attacked Jake. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So at the barn, Rachel ends up admitting that she is tired and scared. 
And so this kind of sparks further debate about the Elmas offer. She's just about to cast the deciding vote. And then the Elmas. We don't know what she, we find out that it's a tie among everyone else, but she doesn't actually say what she would have voted. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then the Elmas comes in again. Oh, I wanted to ask you. So in the hard copy of the book, the Elmist speaks in small caps. But oh, yeah. whereas in the electronic copy of the book, it's like big and bold, apparently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was wondering if it you had is, thoughts it's about like this. Yeah. yeah. So when I read the Elmist's lines, I hear it as like a normal speaking voice, but it's coming from somewhere you can't locate. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Like when you think you hear someone call your name, but then you realize you don't know what direction that sound came from and that, like, there's no... Wait, so in the hard copy, copy, is it caps or... Yeah, they're all caps. But but they're small, right? Yeah. Yeah, because when I read it, I was kind of imagining it as it comes from everywhere. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, kind of a deeper voice and it's, like, playing through a surround sound system. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think I think I understand. Like a announcer at like a sports game. Maybe. Although not not with like the same kind of lag that you right, would hear. Right, yeah. Okay. But like it's coming from everywhere around mm-hmm. you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's different than what I imagine. Mm-hmm. So it's just I thought it was interesting kind of the the impact that just the tight face can have. Yeah, I mean I assume reading. that this like PDF that I've been reading it from is just someone like scanned and then, like, converted mm-hmm. the hard copy. So I'm sure the hard copy is, like... Canonical. Canon, yeah. So, but interesting. There are many ways to interpret art, you know? No, yeah, that's what's cool about it. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so the Elemist... The Elemist comes back, right? It says the El- do they actually have a conversation with the Elemist, or do they just zoom into this other... Yeah, he says, I promised I would ask you again. Now, I will show you what you need to understand. Then they're teleported. Oh, okay. So cool. he, he kind of he know, doesn't he actually a brief appear, intro, but yeah, he right. doesn't. He just says that in his all caps voice. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. So then they find themselves in this like different dystopian reality. Future. Yeah, which they find out is a dystopian future because they see like skeletons basically, mm-hmm. and also they see remains of buildings that used to be there. I looked up how long it takes for a dead body to become a skeleton, and it's eight to twelve years. So this is at least 8 to 12 years since, like, the present day, theoretically. Which I guess checks out because, um, this is kind of skipping ahead, but they later meet, like, future Rachel. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, supposed to be around 20, I think. Yeah. Early 20s, maybe. Early, yeah. So that would be, like, 8 years. But anyway, so they, like, are kind of just in this weird wasteland where everything is gone. Axe is sad that... Cinnamon buns are gone. Yeah, understandable. Who wouldn't I be mean, sad about that? Cinnamon buns are great. I'm surprised cinnamon buns didn't come up in like the Elemist's little tour of the beauty of the earth. But can the Elemist you know, taste? Should it? Maybe it should have just been a montage of like different cinnamon buns. But maybe the Elemist can't appreciate how good cinnamon buns are because yeah. I don't know if the Elemist has a sense of taste. Yeah, then he doesn't. Then he doesn't know what beauty is. That's why he has all these like fish and stuff. Like, yeah, he doesn't know. the buns. But anyway, so they're right, in this future. They, you know, they work out that this is the future where the Yurks have won. They ride the, the little train there. And after they get off, Rachel's mysteriously drawn to uh, a bug fighter that is landing. And then 
Future Rachel and Visser one get out. Yeah, and they have a really cool like hello Rachel, you know. Hi Rachel. Hello nice. Rachel. No, I'm Rachel. All right. Uh right. anyway, so they do that. So young Rachel and old Rachel and Visser one have this conversation where Visor 1, who used to be Visor 3, is like, ah, yes, I knew that this would happen, and we are, we knew that you would come to this spot at this time, and everything is working out for me. Typical but then, villain, sort right. of bombastic. Ha, 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 ha. But then, um, oh, sorry, I don't think we mentioned, but old Rachel is a controller. <laughs> yeah. She's not just, like, there to save the day. And, uh, uh yeah, the rest of them are dead. Or right, controllers. Right, right, right. Or were eaten. Yeah, the Tobias, Tobias was eaten with barbecue sauce. But, uh, but yeah, so like somebody trips and then old Rachel is like, oh my gosh, what just happened? So that shows young Rachel that clearly they're not just following some fatalistic script. Yeah. You know? She also realizes that they don't expect Axe to be there. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, cause, cause Rachel's like the five, I mean six of you. Yeah, old this Rachel. is not how they rehearse it. Yeah. They rehearse it being five, yeah. Time travel's weird. It is weird. It is weird. Yeah. So, anyway, and I don't really know what, like, what determined that in this alternate timeline, but that, like, understanding gives young Rachel some confidence, basically, that, like, the future is not just written already, mm-hmm. you know? Because, like, clearly there are things that are still, that can still be changed, Yeah. you know? So then... Rachel charges at Visser 1 uh, with the, like, time travel realization that that Visser and old Rachel don't want to mess up their current... Oh, right, right. So they're not going to hurt by, her. By, yeah, by interacting with the their past, the past Animorphs. So, yeah, so she charges at him, but then right. she, like, uh, slaps a tree. Because they go snapping back to their current reality. Okay, Okay. cool. So then they all say that they vote yes. The Elmist does not do anything. The Elmist is gone. Mm -hmm. Then they all just go home, right? Yeah. It's kind of anticlimactic. And then the next day in history class. Then the next day in history class, they are having this lesson about World War II and how maybe if the United States had been ready to fight earlier, the war would have ended earlier and fewer people would have been killed. But no, like, we wanted peace, and we... This is a pretty hot take for middle school or high school history, you know? I don't know. That was kind of the way that it was taught to me. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, and that was, like, ninth grade? How mm-hmm. old are they? Like, eighth grade? And, yeah, then, like, Cassie is kind of getting worked up about this school lesson, and she's like, but why? Why? Blah, blah. How could we know that it would have been different? And the teacher, Miss Paloma, is like, well, something, something, butterfly can flap its wings. That old saw. And that can cause a tornado or a Mm -hmm. tsunami or whatever the saying is. A hurricane? A hurricane, maybe. (laughs) And then she looks right at... Volcanic eruption. Rachel, I think. She looks right at Rachel. Mm -hmm. And, you know. Yeah. The Elmist is, like, possessing Miss Paloma. I mean, probably. We have no evidence. So, yeah. But, like, that is what Cassie and Rachel think happened. But, yeah, so nothing is happening. Then Rachel 
uh, that night has a nightmare and then wakes up realizing that she actually knows where the Kendrona is in the super tall tower that yeah. they noticed. I kind of, so in theme of like Animorphs as a TV show, I envision this as kind of like on house when he has the epiphany and he's like, oh, I know what the patient has, you know, mm-hmm. like she wakes up and she's like, I know where the Kendrona is. And maybe you, the audience person don't know. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I feel like we, the book readers, kind of picked up on it. Yeah, it's true. We were kind of like, what is up with that EGS tower? <laughs> they they seem to be really, you know. But you, as like a 10-year-old book reader, might not pick up so. on it. Yeah. Which, which is, like, I guess, an audience. <laughs> not the main audience. I Obviously, the target really audience is... aimed at 20-somethings who yeah, are... Yeah, millennial adults. Too much time on their hands. Yeah. But anyway, so they, so she like gathers everyone. It's the middle of the night, first of all. She gathers everyone and they're like, what are you getting? This is nighttime. And then they, she basically says something to the effect of, we have no time to lose. The Candrona's in the EGS tower. Let's go. So then they go and, um, they break in, stun the guard. So she's pretty sure the Candrona will be on the top floor. Yeah. Because of what it looked like in the dream. Because mm-hmm. there was like that dome on top. So how do you get to the top floor if not by elevator? <laughs> so then, again, a great television moment. Should we just make this a TV show? Uh, I guess we could start a Kickstarter and get a couple bucks rolling in. Yeah, how much money would you need? Not that much, right? Anyway. $10. Yeah. Plus, you might need, like, food for, like, while you're filming. So maybe $20. Okay, but I digress. So they go on the elevator. It's Rachel as a grizzly bear. Also. Marco and Jake. Marco as a gorilla gorilla and and Jake as a tiger. They're all in the elevator. Mm Mm-hmm. They're just waiting for it to go up. One of them's like, so, uh, see any good movies recently? They talk about Keanu Reeves. Rachel mentions, like, the narrative mentions the elevator music playing. It's just great. Yeah. I think like, you like, know that would play well. Scenes. Yeah. Then, once they do get to the top floor, they uh, bust out and immediately encounter a fully armed force of Hork-Bajir and human controllers. Oh, right. And then Rachel goes berserk once again. Nice. I guess she can't see that well as a bear or something. Which is not actually true. Yeah, bears can see fine, right? Yeah. Didn't we, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But that's okay. That's okay. It's the 90s. Maybe bears... ornithology even the study of birds? (laughs) Maybe bears couldn't see that well in April 1997. You don't know. I mean, uh, Kay Applegate didn't know, so. Right, right. Maybe the only bear that she had as her, like, research subject was well, one that happened to, yeah. yeah, that happened to be my That's topic. interesting. I thought about that. <laughs> it's really too bad. <laughs> Get that oh, yeah. glasses. Uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so like, she, she kind of has this aside. What? She's about a bear with glasses. <laughs> um, Although, but wait, Rachel will be morphing the DNA, so she wouldn't need glasses. Well, maybe it has some, like, congenital... Like a genetic, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> the one at the zoo needed glasses, so now she needs glasses. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, so Rachel in her little, like, internal monologue is like, yeah, it's kind of funny. I guess everybody else probably thought that I was just being really brave and reckless because I just attacked like six hork or whatever. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I thought they were all humans. I couldn't really see that well. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought I could take them. But then I realized right when I was about to hit them <laughs> that they were hork Yeah. So they just have a gruesome, like really hard fought battle. And then they eventually swing things their way after Rachel like defenestrates some hork And then Tobias is able to come swooping in the window Right. And then they all have to morph human, basically, because they're, like, dying. Like, Mm -hmm. Marco's intestines are coming out of his body, I think. Yeah. Rachel doesn't even realize at first, but her arm came off somehow. So they demorph. They morph out, which heals them. Then Rachel morphs elephant again, and then uh, shoves a Kendron out the window. But what is it? It's like um, a machine the size of a small car, shaped like a cylinder, tapered to dull points on both ends. Gleamed brightly like new chrome. Oh, okay. Slight low humming noise. <laughs> Static electricity. Great. Yeah, so that's the Kandrona. Okay, so she pushes that out of the window. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Wait a second. How does that destroy it? It falls down and then smashes. Can't they just clean up the Kandrona and put it inside another metal cylinder or no? I think the whole machine is the, the Kandrona. And it falls down 60 stories. And then kind of smashes some pieces on the on the street. So it's not like a box containing the element Kandrona. Right. I think it's like a machine that emits Kandrona rays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe not one that's very resilient to Yeah, so if you break impact. the machine, they can't fix it because it's just too broken. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think so. I think that's the implication. But we do find out that from the Elemist's omniscient perspective he knows that a new kendrona is on the way and will be here in three weeks but they'll still do some damage to the yurks in the meantime mm-hmm. no yeah definitely because yurks can't live two weeks without kendrona so you'd have to like shuttle people yeah they have to shuttle them up to the pool ship mm-hmm. they have like a i think rachel is the one that's like was that enough to change the future oh yeah that's and the cool. elemis is like everything, everything changes the future great thanks but I just think it's a nice, I don't know, it's kind of inspiring. I Interesting. I kind of see it, see it as him being coy. You're like, ugh, Elamists. No, no, I didn't read it that way at all. I read uh-huh. it as him being like, yeah, what, like, of course what you did mattered, you know? I don't know. I thought, I thought it was I, like. I see. That's interesting. No, I, I like that too. Like, what kind of question is that? Of course it changed the future. You know what I mean? That That's a very different reading than what I but that's interesting. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah. So after that, uh, I guess, dialogue with Elamist, Rachel sees her dad off to the airport, then meets up with Tobias to go flying. Yeah. I guess, yeah, because she had kind of gotten closure with mm-hmm. not going off with her dad. Because he can fly back. That's what jets are for. Thank you. Although it's kind of sad, because, like, you know he's not going to. She kind of says that at one point, like, earlier in the book. He says, like, every weekend, you know, that's not gonna... But yeah, but Rachel has kind of made peace with it, and I guess that's kind of the upshot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the book. Is there anything you wanted to talk about as far as the book as a whole? In the context of the series so far? 
I mean, you know, I think we kind of got a pretty in-depth look at Rachel, obviously. I don't really remember the last Rachel book, but I felt like this was very multidimensional, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, she Mm -hmm. can sometimes Mm -hmm. get portrayed as, like, the reckless one. Mm -hmm. But you see, like, all this stuff with her family, where she really is, like, you know, not super into being a fighter Mm -hmm. for for a lot of that. And, And, yeah, like, the way that she thinks about the Candrona, the way, like, I don't know, it's just, you yeah. get to see another side yeah. of her. Yeah, that, that sort of, I think that's, that's nice. I did want to say, going back to the previous Rachel book, what's up with Melissa? Seems like she was going to be a big deal. Melissa Chapman, she's not even in Rachel's. Because that was the last Rachel book, right? Yeah. The one with yeah. Melissa? With Fluffer McKitty. Yeah, poor Melissa. I reread that book in preparation for um, Rachel was making like a big deal out of Melissa and it seemed like this was going to be like Rachel's, you know, impetus. I know, but Melissa isn't even in this book at all. Yeah. It's it just interesting because it seems less like she's, you know, trying to protect the innocence like she is with Melissa. And now she's like trying to win a war, right? Yeah. Cause I felt her, like the last her, Rachel book yeah. was like, why do I even want to do this? Oh, cause Melissa, that's what it is. But now it's like, okay, like we're in a, we're in like a good versus evil yeah. crusade. Yeah. It seems like her, her motivation is different. Part of her motivation seems to be like based on her father. She seems to think that he would want her to be like courageous and fight. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, cause interestingly, this book and the Melissa Chapman book, both have sort of a, do I even want to do this, like, Rachel arc, Mm -hmm. but for very different kind of reasons. Because I think in the first one, it's like, is this even a big deal? Like, you know what I mean? But then she kind of realizes how big a deal it is with Melissa, with the Chapmans, Mm -hmm. the Chapman family. But then in this book, it's more like, okay, obviously this is a big deal, but is it like, can I even, am I strong enough? Yeah. You know? But yeah, the fact that she doesn't mention Melissa at all. I mean, I guess maybe she's just done a lot of growing in the other books, you know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe her Because a lot has changed. That's true. You know? Yeah. Like, Axe wasn't even there. Yeah. In that book. I was going to ask you, there are some people who don't like the Elemist. Um, Some Animorphs fans think that he is hokey. What would you say to those people? Maybe you could start by walking me through your initial reaction to the Elemist when you first read this. Were you like, what? What? Or were you like, oh yeah, well, I could see that. No, I'm Somewhere just, in between. I'm just not over the way that you said some Animorphs fans think that he's hokey. The Animorphs hate him. <laughs> you know, these three trick. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. Great. But, uh, I guess I should speak about reading the series for the first time mm-hmm. and coming across the Elemist, I was pretty, I was pretty jazzed. I was like, okay, jazzed. I, I, I was definitely like pretty into it. Cause I feel like prior to this book, it kind of feels like maybe how the first couple of Harry Potter books felt, you mm-hmm. know, you're like, Oh yeah. This like, ragtag group of kids gets into some adventures and there's a bad guy who keeps coming back every time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and like, you know, Visser three 
mm-hmm. is that kind of not a super skilled villain, you yeah. know? And it's kind of like fun to watch them beat him. Yeah. But then you see the Elemist and the Elemist is like, the humans are going to lose, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that he, first of all, seems to have powers that we have not seen at all yet. No. Yeah. I guess, I guess that's the main thing is that like, he seems to have these other motives, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which just kind of made me think like, oh, this is cool. Like there's more to this universe than humans, Yerks and Andalites. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I remember being like, that was really weird. I hope that that wasn't just like a one-off mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. You know what I mean? Because part of me was thinking it could be a one a one-time thing. Yeah. Um, like maybe it was a device, like a Deus Ex Machina kind of thing, where Kay yeah. Applegate just wanted them to see the drop shaft and see the EGS tower. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to get too excited about it. Okay. You know, but I was pretty. I don't know. I just think it's cool to think about like other Mm -hmm. forces that might be at play in the universe. It doesn't like break your immersion or seem to be inconsistent with the, the Animorphs universe. No, I didn't. I definitely didn't feel that way. I mean, I think the biggest thing was that Axe knew who the Elmus was. I see what you're saying. You know, like it would probably be weird if kind of well, yeah, it would be weird if everyone was like, who are you? What? Uh, oh, what now? An this is a what? random, you just look like an old man, you know? Mm-hmm. But for Axe to be like, oh, yeah, do you guys oh, don't shit. know who this is? You know, I was oh, like, Axe seems to know a lot of things. So if yeah. he knows this guy, plus like, I don't know, I guess because we've met like hork and we've met Taxons. And so mm-hmm. it's not so hard for me to believe as a reader that like there are other life forms that maybe mm-hmm. are more advanced. Yeah, yeah, right? I got it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can talk more in part B, but I I definitely never thought that he was hokey. I thought mm-hmm. I thought it like kind of changes the vibe of the series, but mm-hmm. I liked that personally. Yeah, I tend to agree. I like the Elemis a lot. Um, what are your thoughts on the book as a whole? Well, that's kind of it. The Elemist, kind of a game changer. His presence has, like, a lot of implications about a lot of things, right? Like what? First of all, time can be stopped, mm-hmm. right? Beings can just manifest and be all-powerful. Well, I guess the the sort of implication based on this book is that he is some species that, similar to how the Andalites seem magical to humans, because mm-hmm. they just are, like, very advanced and different. Yeah, like, yeah. Axe talked about Elemists like they were this godlike species. And so I think the kind of assumption is that they're they're kind of the Andalites of the Andalites. Yeah. Yeah. The Andalites are to like a Neanderthal. Like what the... Yeah. We we just can't understand the the technology that's going into stopping time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like he can manifest the shape of a human... But I guess to me, that was just kind of similar to morphing. You just don't need to acquire. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you you fixed that acquiring bug. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, um, speaking of acquiring, mm-hmm. one of our listeners wrote in to the show mm-hmm. and suggested additional... Yeah, a listener. <laughs> we have to be really careful not to alienate this one listener. Our only listener, you mean? Suggested, like, a possible fleshing out of the existing theory of morphing to remind our listener my going theory of morphing is that you the morpher have one 
totipotent stem cell mm-hmm. circulating inside you. And then it mm-hmm. like endocytoses gradually all your human cells and uses that to make like tiger cells. So this mm-hmm. person suggested that perhaps instead of just like the TNA being stored in one stem cell, there's a system more like the adaptive immune system. So maybe perhaps you have something akin to a lymphocyte and you have like a lot of these cells that are formed when you acquire the morph and that when you, the morpher, try and get your body to morph, these cells proliferate like in immune response. Am I understanding anything right? Well, while I am a med student, I have not learned about the immune system yet, so I don't know right. that much about it. But I I don't think that would make sense because I don't think any cells in your immune system carry enough of the... Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think you ever have a full genome from a pathogen. Yeah, I think that, that's correct. You just have, like, antigen, which are antigen yeah. fragments. And you can have, like, the tags, right, that, like, bind yeah. to certain parts of the genome from the pathogen, I think. But wouldn't that just be complementary to the pathogen DNA? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we can talk about this more later as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just... Yeah, that's just a teaser. I guess you have to go back and read the whole series now. <laughs> Those of you who are only here from the spoiler-free section, as if you exist. Uh, okay, so uh, did you want to talk about your daddy issues? No, I just, you know, parent-child relationships really get to me. Uh, One thing that I thought was kind of interesting is it seems like she's definitely her dad's favorite. Yeah, well, you know. You know? I mean... He's like, all the stuff that I wanted to do with a son, I can totally do with you. And, like, Uh no mention of Jordan and Sarah. (laughs) Well, you know, he can bro out with Rachel. About gymnastics, Yeah. No, yeah, I thought I thought it was sweet. I always I like that. Like very similarly to how I like Marco and his dad mm-hmm. stuff. Especially like reading the Animorphs as an adult. Mm-hmm. I feel like that that part is more valuable to me than if I were reading it as a ten year old, you know? Yeah. Like I yeah. think I would just gloss over the stuff about the parents. Like I, I, I don't see. think I would be that Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's true. Yeah. Or at least of, I would. my experience, like, at least. maybe I would identify with the kid in the relationship, but I mm-hmm. feel like this way I kind of, kind of appreciate, like, Both. what her dad is going through, too, you know? Yeah. I like that um, the Animorphs come from a wide variety of, like, backgrounds, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah, our views of their home life are very diverse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Marco comes from, like, a single-parent home. Tobias has, like, a, a no-parent mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. Cassie has like a very wholesome family. So does Jake. Yeah, although his brother is controller. Yeah. Nothing. Axe. What is even up with that? It's far from his home. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's about all I had to say. Did you have other things about the book as a whole? No. Uh, should we do our close reading? Let's do our close reading. So just as a reminder, we do a close reading of a passage... From a page picked at random. Am I? Yes, that's correct. All right. We pick the page at random. Then we look at the page. Yeah, okay, okay. We pick what uh, we want to read. Number between 1 and 163. 85. 85. This one? Maybe? Yeah. 
Let's take this one. Yeah, that one's also good. Yeah, let's do the one you said. Would you like to do a Germanic reading? Yeah, so this passage comes from page 85 in our copy, and it is during the scene right after they spoke with the Elemist where they're all demorphing from inside the taxon, and then um, they've just exploded the taxon, and Mm -hmm. uh, they're still demorphing out. The taxon lay ruined and reeking all around us. The room full of human controllers eating dinner was no longer frozen by the Elemist. Cool. Yeah, so what are your, what are your thoughts? This is like not something we talked about during the body of the podcast, but one of the scenes in <clears throat> the book that I really liked, Time is Frozen. And then you can see a human controller being reinvested. She is crying mm-hmm. and a tear is like frozen in place as it, as she's about to be reinvested. I thought that was like a really powerful yeah. image. Yeah. And here we see like the opposite because we see the voluntary controllers. They were frozen just like eating at the <laughs> cafe. Yeah. I didn't think about that. They were eating their dinner. Yeah. You know, I mean, like you do. While at the same moment that this other girl yeah. was, like, screaming. Yeah, and that's just, like, that still image of, like, it's here frozen in place, like, really was very powerful to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I think, like, ruined and reeking has, mm-hmm. like, a nice rhythm. Alliteration. Alliteration, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know, it just, it just generated a nice rhythm for me. And also I thought that ruined is, like, an interesting choice of words. Yeah, well, I was going to say ruined and reeking are both words that I would not have thought to describe that. However, they're like very descriptive. Yeah, yeah. Ruined is different from like exploded, which is how I think of it, right? Mm -hmm. It's like crumpled there. It's, yeah. And like all in a pile. Yeah. And reeking is also interesting because this is a book. So obviously we don't have a sense of it smelling. And I think that's one thing that you kind of lack a lot in TV mm-hmm. and movies. Mm-hmm. It's like when something smells bad, how do you mm-hmm. communicate that? Uh-huh. So yeah, I just thought it was interesting that that came up. Yeah. Even in the midst of all this action, Rachel still thinks about how bad it smells. Yeah. You know, it smells pretty bad. It reeks. It doesn't just smell bad. You know? Yeah, no. So that's, I thought that was pretty interesting. I was going to say, when we picked this page, I was kind of reading through the other parts in it. And they're pretty clear that they are morphing human from Roach. The taxon is lying there ruined and reeking. Mm-hmm. They're in a room full of human controllers. And as they're running, almost fully morphed back to human, but not quite, a human is yelling like, oh, we got to get these people. Yeah. So people can definitely see them. Yeah, weird. Somebody is seeing them and saying like, get those people, you know? Yeah. So that's weird. I guess the only thing I can think of is maybe the particular humans that saw them are either not privy enough to like what's going on with the Andalite bandits or they're just not that close with Visitor 3. So they just don't like they don't really have a way of communicating to the higher ups. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe they were like, so we saw these humans at the Yerk Pool the other day. It was weird. They exploded on a taxon and then Subvisor, like, 53, is like, 
You fool. Humans can't morph. Everyone knows this. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, maybe and then it I never didn't makes see that. it up to the chain of command. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, because of Subvisor 53 or whatever. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Also, Bruin does not kind of imply that it used to be good. <laughs> but Texans aren't, we're never good. Like, how can you ruin a Texan? That's true. That's true. I guess ruined just kind of reminds me of like dirty laundry. Uh huh. Like, you know, soiled it's or been something. used up. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess it has. Anyway, that's all I had to say. I think that's all we have to say about that okay. passage in the context of the series that we've read so far. Well, all right then. I guess that concludes the spoiler-free section of our show. Thank you all for listening, and join us next time as we read... Megamorphs, number one, The Andalite's Gift. And in our professional opinion, this is a can-skip book. Which is we the have first... a link to our beginner's guide to reading the Animorphs on our website, which has like all the, the can skip. But yeah, this is the first. This is can the first skip. can skip book. Yeah. They've been must reads so far. All right. Well, stay tuned for that one, I suppose. But we're not going to skip it. You know, we're professionals. No, no, no. We, we do our job right. Well, so thank you for listening to this episode of the Sulpniar Pool. You can contact us at sulpniarpool at gmail.com. That's S-U-L-P-N-I-A-R pool at gmail.com or visit our website, sulpniarpool.com. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash sulpniarpool, and you can tweet at us through at sulpniarpool. If you so desire, you can find our Tumblr and Reddit information on the website as well. We also maintain a Spotify playlist with all the songs that we've mentioned on the show so far, which you can find on our website for some 90s nostalgia. So long, and until next time, we have to save the world. All right, that's a wrap. Great. We did it.